Let's go. It's become a meme to say that crypto fixes everything. Well, it certainly doesn't fix everything, but it does fix or help a lot of things. And we have amazing visionary builders like Anthony DiOrio who are trying to use crypto and other technologies to better the lives of people. We talked about that, everything that he's building, as well as the success of the Ethereum merge. He was a co-founder of Ethereum when they were already talking about the move from proof of work to proof of stake. So it has to be very gratifying for him to see it come to fruition. I can't wait to share this amazing conversation with all of you. That's dope. Last year, the mainstream media was reporting that you were quitting crypto altogether, selling your stake in everything over safety concerns. Uh, yet here we are having a talk once again about crypto. What happened there? So, as as with normal, I think media reports they'll they'll hone in on one thing or hone in on a few things with a with a headline. But really, there's 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 many different things that were leading to my decision to just it's not really leaving it's more expanding out into other things that uh, that are important and for me um getting beyond crypto which is a good tool for a lot of things there's a lot of other problems the world's facing and uh, a lot of people in the space that i'm in are problem solvers we've you know amazing technology problem solvers and and the idea was there's i've, I've got a, a tool in my tool belt that i've used for many 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 years in the crypto space to decentralized tech space but there's larger problems out there and my 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 goal and and still what i've been able to do is put it all together is to is to figure out how i can still do what i want to do which is be a problem solver for larger things um, and solve larger world problems at least working on that via frameworks i've built over the years to solve problems um, and always have the blockchain side of things in my tool belt but how can we expand that out so i'm not just known as that crypto guy or that blockchain guy and uh, some of the other the other thoughts was also yeah safety is one of the things that's always been for years for me. It's uh, you're dealing with, with um, you know, the more freedom people are looking for, it comes with it comes with responsibility. And um, in our space, the idea is that is that you're your own bank, right? And and you're a lot of times that comes with with other risks and things associated with that. So um, the idea was it's a much safer space to be to be solving larger problems and not being involved in the crypto space but i found a way to bring both things together what i'm passionate about and what i want to be doing into something that works on both fronts so um i'm still very active in the crypto space i still run decentral my company that makes a bitcoin wallet jacks liberty i'm still starting a foundation on building the next generation of problem solvers and leaders which is what i've where i want most of my time to be going um, because the world has large problems and i think leadership and problem solving i've found across the board are the two lacking things that no matter what sector you're in um that's the missing the missing piece of a stakeholder is how do we think outside the box beyond the way that a, a traditional system works and how do we think differently of it using more advanced problem solving techniques to create more wins for more people so feel that people feel they're not being discluded uh, from the from the situation and, and tech is a good example of deficient business models that need to be rethought about. Um, it, so that's that's where my passion is: is solving problems and and how do I become a leader to help others and and spawn a next generation of leaders and problem solvers. Yeah, being your own bank, it's spectacular until you realize that there's people who like to rob banks. 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's the idea that that there's safety with your money being a bank. There really is, and I have, um, you know, I've I've gone to cash uh, over the last year or so with a lot of stuff, and there's a certain sense of safety and security with your money being in a bank. There really is, and so it's not a black and white thing. There's also downsides, and the people in uh, Cyprus would tell you when their governments uh, took their money out of their bank accounts, uh, there's a certain risk to potentially have your money in a bank account. So. It's, it's, it's a gray area. Um, some people can be very more divisive of saying, there's no way I ever put my money in a bank or I'm only gonna do crypto. I'm more of a middle ground person. And the idea is that there's benefits of both. There's benefits of having your money on an exchange. There's benefits of having your money in your, your own secure keys. There's different, people are different and people require different solutions and things. So um, it, it was a, I, I didn't wanna be that, that, that person that's just focused on crypto and known as that. And, um, that was more of the decision of why, what I wanted to expand out into. But of course, it, it, it's when you do a headline, they, they grab onto certain things. And the safety yeah. thing was something that was brought forward a little more prominently than was intended. Yeah, I love how you just described the importance of diversification, not in just what assets you own, but where you store them, right? And I think that's an important point, even for people who believe that you should custody your own assets, that maybe you don't want to custody all of them and you need to have them in other secure locations just in case the worst yeah. happens. But I want, I want to focus more on what you were talking about. So now that you are branching out, not leaving, obviously, but expanding, what is it specifically that you're working on and what problems are you looking to solve? Okay. So the last few years while I was running my company still in, in the crypto space, um, kind of two things we've been focusing on. One is infrastructure building. So about 10 years ago, um, before Ethereum, when I got into Bitcoin in 2012, it was I, I understood pretty quickly that uh, we have a new iteration of the internet that's on the horizon. And I kind of saw this Web3 idea of a user-controlled internet back then. I mean, that's why I got into Bitcoin, the empowerment opportunity to be my own bank. The ability for me to be in control of my money, my communications, my identity was through these technologies that I saw emerging, which started with Bitcoin, which we further advanced with Ethereum. But the idea of what are the tools that were needed for the internet to get off the ground? Those similar related tools will be needed for a user controlled internet. So I'm talking about things like the browser, which was back in the day, the thing that the average person enabled them to get onto the internet, right? You have these browsers and you had the way it's an interface for people to engage and interact. So I started building wallets back in 2013 as the equivalent in this new world for being able to manage and move value. And along the way, you other similar things like cloud services emerged in the early 2000s to provide ways for developers to build on the internet and to expand things out. Well, the same type of infrastructure is needed for Ethereum and for Bitcoin. So I've been building infrastructure for years, my company has. So all the pieces over the last 10 years we've been putting together to advance a user-controlled internet is becoming more and more prominent now with the talk of Web3 and, and people trying to you know, talking about metaverses and talking about a user-controlled internet and getting away from the Web2 models and the aggregation that has hand happened in a centralization of, of a few companies and the power they now have on the internet and the power that these large companies have, uh, my opinion needs to be put into the hands of the individuals. And, and that's kind of what the mission has always been for 10 years. So um, moving forward, uh, there's a project that I'm working on that'll be announced in November, and we've already kind of made some pre-announcements to it and have a whitelist open right now is uh, called Andiami, A-N-D-I-A-M-I, andiami.org. And the idea is how do we help uh, enable a user-controlled internet by allowing individuals to correct, connect directly to these technologies like Ethereum and Bitcoin and all these other technologies 
without needing third-party intermediaries or trusted intermediaries in, the, in, in between. And an example of that is that for my wallet, Jax, everything is done on AWS. We run infrastructure, customers rely on us to send their transactions to the protocols. That's a weak link because if something happens to my company or Amazon says you guys can't do that anymore, our customers have no way now to send their transactions uh, using our system. So how do we move off of AWS and how do we actually create equipment and computers that everybody has their own at home? And that's what we'll be presenting is a blockchain computer, a blockchain system that's going to empower individuals to be their own nodes very easily and to not be reliant on trusted third-party intermediaries to connect them to these technologies in the future because there is a centralization happening now of infrastructure on a few centralized bodies. So Ethereum is becoming centralized because all the infrastructure is being run on, on other cloud service provider systems. And that's not really the ethos or the mission of Ethereum and other technologies to be decentralized. So nodes are very important. Nodes are, are reducing, they're becoming centralized. And our mission is to increase the nodes of, of Ethereum and Bitcoin and other relevant technologies and empower individuals to be further in control of their digital lives, their money, communication, and identity. So it's a project that's been 10 years in the works and we're finally bringing it out to the world and um, it'll, it'll be announced uh, in, in November. What's better than listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast? Listening and watching the Wolf of All Streets podcast live. Well, they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but this time that's not the case because I'm hosting a stage at a conference from October 10th to 13th. That's the WebEx conference. I'm going to be bringing you live podcasts, live panels, masterclasses from the leading minds in the industry. This is going to be absolutely epic. It's going to be live streamed, recorded, and presented to you live. You can come have a happy hour with me, eat dinner, potentially play golf, and watch all of your favorite content being recorded in real time. Guys, the link for this is web3expo.live. That's web3expo.live. Use code WOLF20 to get 20% off your ticket. WOLF20 for 20% off your ticket. Guys, let's hang out in Vegas, October 10th through 13th. So even when you're leaving crypto, your expansion is very much crypto native. It's just less a protocol or a coin, but it's still the same ethos of what yeah. uh, drove you into crypto in the first place. And, and to talk about a very important point there, we always rail against the importance of decentralization or how centralized or decentralized something is. None of it's decentralized when you describe it like that. If it's all running on an Amazon web service, then decentralization right now is a complete and utter myth. It's, it's yes, it's, it's um, the infrastructure right now is not really decentralized. The incentives for someone to run their own node is, doesn't exist. The, they're difficult to run. Uh, they're, they're just it's so much simpler for developers and businesses to rely on a third party to provide them with connections so that it's easy and they don't need to run their own infrastructure. But yes, that's an, it's, it's, it's the antithesis of the way that the system should be. So just like custodial wallets and non-custodial wallets, um, a lot of people don't understand non-custodial wallets where you actually hold the keys yourself. There's other risks and attack vectors that you might not understand is not being someone that doesn't develop software, you might not understand that there's a certain libraries that may get uh, um, you know, secretly attacked that, that are used that could lead to an exposure of something that happens. So there's other risks and it's not just a black and white situation. So there is decentralization happening. It's following the web two models that needs to be changed so that these technologies can become more robust and more decentralized. So that is the mission, but the end game is, is funding a foundation to build problem solvers and layers. 
So I've been able to put those two things together. And what I'm doing here with Anjami is actually is, is the way to carry out this foundational uh, structure that I want to do to help build this superpower team of problem solvers and leaders that think differently and can, can, can make radical change with larger problems. So that's how I'm tying my mind. My passion is what I want to go into with what I'm good at. And at the end of the day, it's all problem solving. I mean, entrepreneurship is problem solving. Business, business creation is problem solving. It's figuring out where there's a problem. It's figuring out how to create a better way to do things. And if you're doing it in a way that is improving people's lives, which is the mission and the goal I've always tried to do, then that's something people can get behind and you create movements of alignment between stakeholders. And that's that's kind of the change that I want to help bring about. It's a grand vision. It seems very daunting. How many people would have to be participating in Anjami for it to actually become a viable you know, replacement or competitor to an Amazon web service or something like that? Right now, people can run their own their own nodes. Uh, most people don't because there's no incentive like there is to mine to do it. But if you can piece together all the things that um, you know incentivize structures for running a node, which is something that we're going to be bringing to light, how can you actually incentivize someone to run a node? Okay, how can you incentivize them to keep the node up? And then how do you gamify it in a way that that they're being rewarded for running a node, which helps to contribute strength to these different technologies? So the system that we're putting together um, has in a project, and, and the idea is how do you create the best project ever? That's what we're always striving for, is how do you create that formula to create a project that is going to, to be complementary and help all these other ecosystems to flourish and grow, how it's going to provide leadership and problem solving to an industry. So I think the things that 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 I've been in for 10 years and with the track record in the past, and now thinking how can I do something that's going to help not just Ethereum, but other technologies, uh, and is really solving a problem, I think it's got a pretty good chance. And, and I've just been building 10 years. We haven't focused on user acquisition and whatever we've done. It's just learning, it's trial and error. And we've come up with something that I think makes it very simple and easy for anybody to contribute to these networks and become a node. And I think that's something that, you know, if you could run, and run, run a box and, and be rewarded for doing so, um, you're creating a whole new type of mining system, which is what we're going to be presenting on the table. So I don't know exactly what it's going to take to get to be a, an Amazon behemoth, but our idea is a decentralized network of node infrastructure that anybody can utilize um, that doesn't have the centralization risks uh, that and, and the potential uh, interference with government demands or decisions that have to be made in order to, um, you know, if your stuff's on that server, well, the government doesn't like that. Uh, you can't do that. So now anybody that's running on that company's servers now has to take down their stuff. And we've seen that with Tornado Cash. And we've seen it with sure. the demands of, of companies like Coinbase to make decisions whether or not to limit and restrict addresses. All these things kind of don't matter when it's in the hands of the individual to do it themselves. It's that intermediary that can, can be swayed or can be maybe not aligning well. And if you can direct connect to these technologies, it puts the risk off of my shoulders, it puts the risks off of these companies' shoulders and puts it in the hands kind of of the individual being in control of their own system and they can make their decisions. So um, I don't know what it's going to take to, to beat an Amazon in that, and that's really not the goal, but it's if we can lead to more nodes and more decentralization, and if I can help contribute to that for all of these important technologies, that's, that's a win. So the goal is effectively to create a parallel system for those who understand and care and not necessarily, certainly at least initially, to replace the systems that exist. We're not going to have a brand new internet in five years that's completely decentralized. And Exactly. You're right with that. Yeah. 
do you think that we could get there in 20 or 30 years where literally we have decentralized systems that are powered by individual nodes around the world and that's the preferred system over, you know, Cloudflare and Amazon and all of these that we've seen issues with? I think so. I think a user-controlled internet comes first with the user being their own server. You can't have a user-controlled internet unless the user is, is, has that option and choice to be their own server. Um, I think that it, the time depend on how much fight and how much fear and all these other elements that can help uh, you know, slow down eventual systems that will come in, into play. I'm, I'm convinced that eventually it will be like that. Uh, but it's a matter of who knows when it's and how long it will take based on a number of other macro factors and micro factors that come into play um, when there is massive change that is happening with something as big as, as the way the internet works or the way that incumbents um, uh, understand that there is a better way maybe. And if they do things differently, they, they could win in this new world. Uh, but it all depends on how much people are going to be fighting and pushing back and, and, and how much leaders can come forward and say, this is the way to do it and provide right. a plan that's going to still be able to recognize deficiencies or problems that governments might be recognizing. And they're looking for people to come and leaders to say, here's a better way of doing things that everybody's going to win by. And we've taken into consideration the what governments and regulators are trying to achieve. We've taken into consideration where technologies are heading. And we've taken into consideration that in a global marketplace, those that go forward and do things are going to get the reap the rewards. And those that are more timid or are doing things based on fear are going to get left behind. So how do we come together and provide wins for particular countries that will lead to more jobs and more productivity? All those things that, that that I think governments and regulators want, but don't know how to do it. So that's where leadership comes in. Yeah, I think a lot of it likely just has to do with time and a new generation replacing an older one, a generation that's more tech savvy or tech native and understands the problems with privacy, you have a very optimistic view saying, you know, maybe the incumbents will get it and change to a better system. I find that incumbents rarely evolve and it's kind of has to be uh, ripped from their cold, dead hands. Well, right? I, I so think, it's I a matter of just that. replacing them, not convincing that's, them. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, we definitely don't agree on that. I mean, that's the way it maybe have been, but a better way would be to accept and understand sure. what those incumbents' problems are, what's, what they can still be utilized for skill sets to bring to your table in the new way and putting it all together so that your solutions actually show to them that there is a better way and the better way includes them and the better way says we're going to help you solve your problems if you think about it differently in this aspect and that's again where problem solving and leadership needs to come in you can't just exclude people or else you're creating enemies if you can figure out what those people's problems are and how you can provide solutions that help them get to where they want to go then you've got allies and i think that's that's really the, the the mission of my problem solving formula or what it is it's win-win wins across the board of alignment with all stakeholders involved and it's not easy but that's anything new and anything changing from the way it's always been is not easy and that's that's what needs to be thought about i think you can't you can't say those guys are out and let's not think about them how do we bring them along in a way that they're going to realize it's a better way to do things? Well, Bitcoin arguably is one of the first systems that's taught us the lesson that that's possible, right? Because the interests of the individual are aligned with the interests of the group, right? Oh, you can basically be someone who would theoretically be a bad actor. There's just no incentive to do it, right? So the best way for you forward is, and if you want to even just simply make money, is to behave and be a good actor within that network. Yeah, it's all a game. It's a game with rules and the rules need to be followed and you get dinged when you don't follow the rules. And, and it's, it's, it's done through game theory to align everybody with the same interests so that everybody's shooting towards the same goal. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. So let's say that uh, 
Andami becomes one of the biggest companies in the world. We replace the internet. Problem solved. What's the next major problem that you think needs solving? Well, it's not about replacing the internet. It's about empowering individuals in a user-controlled internet. So it's supporting other technologies that are also emerging to create this next iteration of the internet, which is not, which doesn't have these deficiencies of centralization around a few, uh, a few institutional companies and things. So um, that's that's uh, that's the focus. And then for me, afterwards, again, is the foundational curriculums for students and kids to build problem solvers, build leaders because there's specific problems that people want to tackle. I just want to, I don't want to tackle those specific problems. People care about climate, people, and those are important things. But the idea is that if you don't have enough problem solving leaders to tackle the larger problems, you can't solve right. all those things. So for me, the mission really is to is to, to help bring forward a large group of problem solvers and leaders that think differently in ways that winning across the board is the goal and the outcome and not disclusion and not few win, many don't that's just a, a a deficient way that 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 the world has been running and it needs to change i agree and you can obviously have a much greater effect by spending your energy teaching people to problem solve rather than focusing on one problem at a time so uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that makes perfect sense i want to pivot a bit and you and i have obviously discussed this before you were one of the founders of ethereum you know, now, what, eight, seven, eight years ago. It's it's crazy that it's been so long. You left in 2015, but as you've explained to me before, the merge, the transition to proof of stake was something that was fundamentally a part of the creation of Ethereum, or at least, you know, something that you were looking to move towards from the very beginning. And that just successfully happened. So talk talk about why even though it was founded in proof of work, proof of stake was always the goal. And then I guess how it feels to see that uh, goal come to fruition. Yeah, so very early on in the project, 2014, early 2014, um, that's when I believe the, it, 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 fr from the beginning, Vitalik's view was always that proof of stake is something that's not quite ready yet, but that is the direction that this thing should be going. And we made it very clear initially that that move would happen sometime in the future and in fact there was a thing called a difficulty bomb that was put into the code that would explode and make it too difficult for proof of work to to actually to continue on with proof of work now that difficulty bomb has been delayed year after year but it shows that since day one miners were aware and understood that this move would happen somewhere down the future so for those that have invested in the proof of work equipment um, th there was a lot of warning uh, right from the beginning that that change would be happening sometime in the future when it was ready. And that's what's happened. Uh, and that's what's, was, what's, what's happened today, actually, was the, the merges taken place. Um, there's been a joining of, the two, of, of two systems to, to create a, a proof of stake model now that Ethereum is using going forward. Uh, it's not going to, like a lot of people think, uh, you know, enable more efficiency, really, and more um more cheaper transactions and things yet this was about moving from one mechanism to another it's going to lead to a lot less electricity use i think the foundation has claimed 99.5 percent reduction in electricity usage um and it's, it's a model that's been prepared and planned for a while and it looks like it's gone off without a hitch so far so uh, the new system is running people were confused as to what it actually had to do if they owned ether but uh I what things I've been saying to people are just kind of wait and see how things play out the next few. Do days. nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just uh, just wait and see how things play out. And um, there was nothing you really had to do with the ether that people held. And 
it's going to be some interesting times over the next few days. Uh, if there's a, a proof, of, proof of work chain is now, I think, launched, I believe. Yes. There's, mm -hmm. there's now those that are following through with the continuance of proof of work um, is, is on the smaller chain right now. And we'll see how much uh, attention that chain gets. Because if you had Ether in private keys that you held yourself, you now also will have uh, ETH proof of work. So you're going to have now two different tokens on two different chains. Um, if you were holding it on exchanges, it might be a different story because they hold the keys. So you have to see if those exchanges that you had your, your coins on will honor and give you the keys, uh, the, 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 the Ether proof of work after that. Um, but so far, I think things have gone pretty smooth. And it's one of the first early steps to move towards, towards greater uh, efficiencies, greater scalability, all these things that will make Ethereum a larger player in the global ecosystem, which it just really hasn't been able to to this day just because of the limitations. Um, but this is the first step towards those great promise changes that will be coming down the road. Yeah, it's very early. I think a lot of people have the misconception that everything was happening at once. And it's really just the first step in many, right? I mean, I think uh, Vitalik said it was, you know, this is 40, 45% of the way or something like that initially with the plans, just the plans that already exist for, for the merge. That's right. Yeah, it's a it's been a, a slow but steady and I think appropriate um, action by the teams behind Ethereum to make sure everything is done properly, uh, to not sacrifice uh, um, things like decentralization. Now, some might argue, as we talked about, this thing might uh, not not be as be as good or might still have issues with centralization. But in terms of making sure the, prep the preparedness was was done and, and, and uh, instituted properly, I think they've done a really good job, even though it's been delayed. Uh, I just think that's just part and parcel for the course. What metrics or qualifiers determine that it was that proof of stake was actually ready for this? Because you, you kind of described that initially you said, listen, the uh, the goal is to get to proof of stake, but proof of stake isn't ready. At what point, and I know you were no longer on the project, but at what point did proof of stake become viable enough that it was time to actually start thinking about the merge and preparing? I think even bef it, over the years, since the beginning, there's always been that gradual move towards proof of stake. Okay, so I think, uh, I don't know the exact timing when, when the team started working on over the last few years to towards the ETH 2.0, but ETH 2.0, which they don't like to term it now, is, is always been that, that, that move. So since very early on, there was a plan to do it and it just kind of was consistent over the years. It's gonna happen, things are getting ready, learning how other systems have been using proof of stake because there were a lot of examples and other technologies using, using it. And this was just a time that, that it was ready and there were a lot of tests testing done and the tests were successful and then it was time to actually make the official upgrade. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. Do you ever see yourself going back? I know that you have a grander vision, but now that it's made that transition, do you ever see yourself getting involved again in the Ethereum project or well, just sort of cheerleading from the outside? Or, I mean, you sort of are involved in what you're doing. But, yeah. yeah. It, in 2015, when I left, the idea was um, I saw a wider you know, ecosystem than, than just Ethereum and with, with, with Ethereum, it opened my eyes to, to anything beyond Bitcoin because before Ethereum, everything was Bitcoin to me. And then Ethereum, and it's like, wow, there's, Ethereum's gonna spawn so many other projects and technologies. And there's other ones uh, that, 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 that have come about over the years that are providing some real value, I think, in the ecosystem. So I decided to pursue a more holistic approach to the entire ecosystem and build technologies that would support 
Bitcoin, Ethereum, Polkadot, Cosmos. We run nodes for a wide variety of them. We support wallets for a number for for many of them. Um, so I, I am, you know, we had to change our nodes out for Ethereum over the last few weeks to get ready for this merge. So I'm still intimately involved in running nodes for Ethereum, uh, but um, we we kind of focus on a, a more diverse, uh, uh, holistic ecosystem. So. Uh, that's what we'll continue to be doing is supporting many of these technologies that are providing value. Uh, and because these are all experiments, whether or not they turn out good or bad, there's learning lessons and everything. So there's a lot of good projects that are, that are out now that whether they're successful or not down the road, they're bringing to light new ways of doing things, new ways to testing, new formulas, and those are all valuable and learning lessons. So that's part of my holistic approach to and not being kind of a maximalist in any in any type of fashion to any one particular thing. You talk about having a diverse, holistic ecosystem, which obviously means that you believe that we will have multiple chains that they will need to be interoperable, right? And, and, and I think at this point, we can still argue that that process is very much in its infancy, right? We see constant bridge hacks and, and problems. And so when do we get to the point where you go into a simple wallet or interface and you don't have to think about bridging your assets or doing any of this. You just kind of are able to move between the ecosystems with everything happening in the background, much like the internet or your phone or any of those. And it is holistic as you talk about. Yeah, I mean, these are problems that that, that projects like Cosmos and Polkadot are, are working on. And it, I think it, a lot of it depends as to what do people want to be using in the future? Who knows? Maybe Ethereum becomes that default system that once it gets scalability, uh, and it's much cheaper to use that 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 the world is using. You know, is is that a good or bad thing in terms of does that lead to a centralization? And I like having more competition out there. I like to see more projects being able to flourish and grow. Um, I don't know when there's going to be a time where there's going to be that interoperability that is easy for the average person to just do as you said there. Um, but there are teams that are re realizing that is a, a problem and that are focusing on it and are trying to create that system of interoperability because yeah, it, it is challenging right now. It's not as intuitive, but uh, it's being worked on, and there's a lot of amazing minds doing that. So I don't know the timing, but hopefully it's going to be going to be some time where it does make it much easier for the average person. It feels like sometimes in crypto we have major problems that we're looking to solve, which is obviously what you're focused on. But sometimes it seems like we come up with solutions that are in search of problems as well. Um, and so. Are there any things in the crypto space that people are building or working on, not specific to any project, where you think maybe it's a bad idea, maybe we're heading in the wrong direction, maybe we don't even need to be going in that direction at all, or maybe it's even dangerous to be heading in that direction? Yeah, and I think it's a little bit what we we talked about earlier, too, on a previous call. DAOs. DAOs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know or understand DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations, they're entities that are based on a contract that executes with, um, uh, that, that are code that executes and stakeholders are able to vote on decisions that the DAOs make uh, to carry out actions. So you could have, uh, think of it as a corporation or an entity that has shareholders that has tokens and the more tokens you have, you're able to vote on what that entity does. Uh, decentralized autonomous organizations were first thought about years ago. Uh, in fact, with Ethereum, there was a lot of debate initially whether or not Ethereum would become a DAO uh, from the beginning. And DAOs are kind of these autonomous agents or entities that run in the cloud that don't have a local jurisdiction. 
And uh, even though regulators may differ on that opinion, I was going to say they but, may disagree. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> yeah, some may disagree about that. But that's the the idea of um, you've got this thing that just lives in the cloud and it's not beholden to any type of jurisdictional boundaries, and it can do things anonymously and 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 execute uh, actions based on what its members decide. And I think it could open the door to a lot of great new governance systems where maybe helping some limitations with democracy down the road. Um, democracy is kind of the best of, of the worst, worst in the way that I like to look at it. It's 51% yeah. of the population telling 49 potentially what to do. And it's not the best, the best way. And you could have people there that are not equipped to make decisions because they don't understand the repercussions. And um, you, you may have, uh, for instance, here in Canada, an example is you may have a prime minister who used to be a school teacher. And, you know, how does that qualify him to be elected in order to carry out things that are needed for a country? So there's definitely issues with democracy. And people have always thought about how do you create new systems that are going to empower people to, with, with uh, the ability to have a say and remove a lot of the fraud and potential areas that, that um, could, be a, could, could come to light due to, to, to human intervention and stuff. So DAOs are a more autonomous system that has come to light a lot more over the last few years. And I think for me, someone that sees the potential good in these new ways of thinking about how do we create governance for a large amount of people in a way that's more equitable and fair, um, there's also the downsides of where these technologies could head. And that's something that I'm a bit concerned of. And recently I thought more and more that DAOs and this aggregation of strong entities with a number of people behind them could become very powerful. And anonymous entities that are very powerful that have motives that might not align with the ethos of a decentralized movement and more might be aligned with the ethos of monetary gains could become very powerful and then their their decisions could be made based more on how do we make more money and that could be at the expense of ethos or technologies that are more focused towards decentralization or how do we do good for more people so it's just something that I've been putting a lot of thought into recently that, that, that DAOs could be a major problem to the ecosystem down the road that haven't been really thought about. And, and for caution of people that are getting votes to do things that might not have the experience or the knowledge to, to make that decision and understand the implications of what it is they're doing. And I'd like to use that example like I did last time too, which is you have a, a, an electrician telling a plumber what to do uh, for plumbing. Right. The electrician can't do that, but he's got a vote and he might say it's a good idea, but what does he know? So if you give people the power to make these decisions and they're not equipped with the potential knowledge of what the ramifications could be, you could get some very dicey situations. So it's just a caution in terms of DAOs have a lot of potential and people are really, um, there's a lot of a lot of hype around these, these entities, but there's also some downsides. And I'm not thinking that the downsides will outweigh the positives, but I do think there could be some, some impact in these uh, on projects like ethereum if DAOs can get too powerful that's just all yeah. I, I'll, I'll leave it at that yeah I, I, you just you just described the problems with voting as well as that you have uneducated people trying to vote on things but at least i think they get a, a sweeping idea of perhaps what they're voting for and also what you described how problematic that could be when it's monetary gain and that that could come at the expense of the ethos uh, of the project or of the space as a whole that also in the case of a DAO, could come at the expense of majority of the members of the DAO, right? Mm -hmm. Because as you described it, the problem that I have with it is obviously holding more coins, which means you're the wealthier person in general, means you get a bigger vote, right? 
Isn't yeah. that kind of replicating the the problems that we have with the one percent versus the ninety nine percent and control by the wealthy? You know, you you could just if you have more money, you can buy a, a bigger voting block. Yeah, that's one of the many potential risks. Uh, there's with the anonymity, and anonymity could be a great thing, but also that comes with how do you know that seventy five percent is not one person? How do you know? who is actually who has that 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 control that it's that it that it's maybe not as decentralized as you might think going into a DAO where it actually is being run by one or two people because they have the largest share but because of the anonymity factor you don't know that so yeah there's 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 risks that definitely uh, come out of that and it's more about people aren't I don't know if people understand those risks as much and they might say DAOs are the way of the future and DAOs are going to be amazing but also understand the potential that you might be in a DAO that it's not decentralized. Your vote is actually meaningless. Yeah, it might be highly, so that might be literally more centralized than anything else that you're yeah. railing against that you think is too centralized. It could be, or it could not be. So it's, it's right. just thinking thinking of all the, the, it's not a black and white situation. There's a lot of middle ground there. And DAOs, I think, can be very powerful and bring a lot of great technology to the world and, and good new ways of governance. But also there could be, could be risks when these entities get very, very large. And if their incentives are not aligned properly with the way people want to do things, there could be some problems. You're obviously very serious about uh, your goals and you were at the very forefront of building Ethereum very early. Do you ever just look at some of the things being built in this space that are such absolute embarrassing jokes and just shake your head and say, why, why, like, why I didn't, I didn't build this thing to, to see, you know, like uh joke cartoon characters and memes uh, dominating the view yeah. of crypto from the mainstream. I, I don't pay attention to a lot of that. I don't really do much social media. I learned a long time ago that, that I too much time can be spent on those things. So I, I think it's more focused on what I got to do rather than what other people are doing in that sense. And that's led me to what I put out there has to be substantial. It has to be kind of, I want to do my next big thing. It has to be collaborative. It has to bring value to a large audience. It has to be technology focused. It has to solve problems. It has to be leadership that I can help present things and views that are going to help people to understand what's coming up in the future. And I have kind of a duty to do that type of thing. So I, I mean, there is a lot of nonsense and garbage out there, but I don't give it much attention and energy there. And I just, it helps me to, to know what I've got to do and in, in, in the value and stuff that I need to bring forward. And hopefully it's the opposite of all that. How is the relationship now of all of the co-founders of Ethereum at this point? You know, I mean, you left seven years ago, but uh, is everybody still friendly? Are there still disagreements as to how things should have uh, proceeded? Are you guys not even in touch? Yeah, I, I, I haven't spoken to Vitalik for a few years. Charles, uh, and I communicate, uh, and, you know, we, we, we were in some groups together and we'll, we'll hit each other up on WhatsApp every once in a while. Uh, Amir Chetrit, I still keep in touch with, uh, um, haven't spoken to Mihai for quite a while. Joseph Lubin, it's been a couple of years. Uh, Gavin, we email back and forth every once in a while. And Jeffrey, haven't seen Jeffrey in years. I think I've kind of covered everybody there of the initial, initial eight. Um, but gone you know, to do big things. No, I mean, no. it's, it's a, it's an incredibly impressive group when you uh, list them all out one by one. Yeah. And it's, and there's no, I've got no, no bad blood about anything. I think things happen the way that things are supposed to, supposed to happen. I think I've learned a lot of lessons from the whole experience, changed my, 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 my view on certain things because of the project and, and saw things differently afterwards and, uh, learned a lot. It's been, it's been 10 years of being in the space. It's been what eight years, uh, being in the pro being since, since the start of Ethereum. 
a lot of life lessons and changes over the years and just happy and content where things are right now. I know you're like myself. I mean, you're still a passionate about Bitcoin and about the space as a whole. Do you think that uh, the move of Ethereum to proof of stake puts any pressure on Bitcoin uh, as far as regulators and legislators and anyone who might be sort of pushing the ESG environmental narrative? Yeah, I think let's wait to see how things turn out over the coming weeks and months with Ethereum before we can give this whole thing a passing grade. So I I, I think there might be pressures as a whole industry, and I don't think it, I don't think um, we have the data right now, even with Ethereum, to say that that that's you know that that's the way that things should be. So right, let's give it some time and see. But I, I'm I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Bitcoin community to make to make some changes down the road and to be thinking along these lines. Um, but let's let's see how Ethereum pulls through over the next weeks and months uh, to see if the results of what have been expected. Who knows? There could be things that come out of this that are not uh, what was expected. So I think or even really problems that, that were never anticipated. That uh, yeah. right? Uh, you, you really never know. I, I mean, I I don't think I've ever even done a software update on my phone that went well. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> I bet it slowed it down though afterwards. Which oh, I, I, it's it's the joke. I remember a long time ago, but my wife updated her phone and the phone, of course, then the battery was half. And so she plugged it into her computer and the computer's operating system no longer was compatible with the phone. So she had to buy a new phone and a new computer. Yeah, right? that's, that's the goal, isn't it? How do we get new phones every month? This <laughs> is uh, Apple, uh, of course, found a way to sell her every device that she could possibly need simply because of a software update. And let's hope Ethereum isn't uh, like that, right? But uh, you 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 alluded to sort of a scenario where maybe Ethereum becomes sort of the base settlement layer of all of these things. Is that the best case for Ethereum? Let's say that the proof of stake transition is perfect, and then the other sixty five percent of things that are being built uh, to get it to scale all work out. What's the best case scenario for Ethereum? I think something that can radically provide improvements to people's lives in many different sectors by creating more efficiencies, by making things cheaper, making things faster, making things more user-friendly, um, and, and showcasing that, that people's resources can be redeployed in new ecosystems where maybe they before were not doing anything of real value. And when you're not doing something of real value, new systems are going to come that's going to remove you from the equation. So how do we get those people moving into new sectors and industries where there will be value contributed into it? So I'm an optimist in terms of these technologies may create a lot of radical change and, and displace or at least remove non-value added participants from the equation. But how do you then reposition those people into new sectors due to the technology and innovations that will help them to flourish and thrive? So. Um, I think it creating radical change and creating more efficiencies that help people and help people in their lives would be what I would see as the end game for for these technologies. Which is the original ethos of Bitcoin in the first place. Right? Empowerment. Empowerment. It, it all really comes back to empowerment access. Mm -hmm. Yeah, empowerment, access, inclusivity, all the positive words. If you think about the positive words, that's what this is hoping to bring. It's hoping to, to empower people with everything they need to feel that they have more freedom and control so that their lives can be better. That's that's what these things are are I think have been bringing forward and, and our goal is to bring those forward. Well, I appreciate the effort that you're putting towards uh, making a better world and bringing all of those positive words uh, to reality for people in the future and everything that you're building. Where can everybody follow you and keep up with what you're building after this conversation? 
So uh, my, my Twitter was really the only thing I use, and I don't even use that very much. It's, uh, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> Dior, Diorio Anthony, uh, my name. It's not Delorio, as think some people might think because of that. It's the cap. double I. The double I is confusing. Double people, I, I think, yeah. whoever thought of a, a, a sans serif font, their L and the capital I is exactly the same. So it's a deficiency in the typography that leads you to think it's an L. But it's Diorio. It's D-I-I-O-R-I-O, Anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y. So that's my Twitter handle. And then andiami.org, A-N-D-I-A-M-I.org is the new project. And that's where the whitelist is open and more information can be can be seen there. Well, they say that crypto can fix everything. Maybe it can fix the uh, confusion with the typography between I's and L's. Can, can, you nice. work on that big pro- can you work on that big problem or find somebody to do that for us? Sure. Use a serif font. Yeah, there you go. Just we, we basically we just need to ban sans serif. <laughs> Evil. Uh, man, thank you so much for doing this once again and for all, all of your time. Uh, it really is inspiring, and I look forward to seeing uh, Andiamo come to Andiami come to fruition. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks for having me on again. Bye now. Let's go.